Luton Town couldn't go in the one direction we all wanted them to in front of Harry Styles on Sunday afternoon when we fell to a 2-1 defeat to the biggest club in the world, Manchester United. To reflect on that game, alongside me I've got the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe. I promise that is the only mention of the bloke. Are you ready to re- ready to recap this one? <laughs> I don't think you've got the musical chops to, to go any more deeper than that, are you? Someone challenged me to get as many One Direction songs into this podcast as I could. I can't even He's get done it. He's done it. I can't even it. get one in there. <laughs> He's done it. Yeah, I haven't got a clue either, mate. Well, listen out for any One Direction comments uh, after this intro. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. We are reflecting on Luton Town 1. Manchester United too and as I said before the intro alongside me I've got the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe to do just that one that got away Jimbo I mean in the end I think yeah everybody's a bit disappointed by it but um, you can't give two goals away like that you certainly can't give what give away one in 37 seconds and and um, live to tell the tale most of the time particularly against uh you Manchester United to the world, so uh, yeah. I mean, Luton had had chances, but then again, they had chances. I think there's uh, extenuating circumstances out to many of theirs came about certainly after the first two goals, and and particularly in the second half uh, because Luton had to go for it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those ones to be sort of proud proud of, but frustrated by. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough reflection. The drama kind of started before a ball was kicked, really, didn't it? Elijah Adebayo went down in the warm-up. And if there was one game where you could have done without Elijah going down in the warm-up, it was against Harry Maguire and Raphael Varane. And Corley Woodrow replaced him in the team. One of what became three changes in the end after Ted Mengi and Heath Chong both came back in against their former clubs for uh, Reese Burke and Jordan Clark, respectively. For the team sheet, though, you could kind of tell that we were going to look to hit them with pace and power in the way that we normally do. But just not having Elijah there and lose... I mean, if we'd lost him on a Thursday or something, then they could have built another game plan up. But as much as we like Hawley and he did well in the game, he's not Elijah. And, you know, to have to change it within half an hour of the game starting kind of put a, a spanner in the works and may have contributed to that first five minutes. Yeah, it's very possible because uh, it's not happened this season. Certainly, I mean, I was I was watching Elijah in the warm up. Um, I, I do some filming for the for the little audio clips that we get that we put on the podcast, which you'll see later. And I was zoomed in on Elijah at the time, and it it didn't look right. And he was walking sort of forlornly towards the tunnel with Jared Robert Smith, the, um, the strength conditioning guy. And I thought, this doesn't look good, really. Um, and then immediately from that, Corley's joined in with the first 11 
practice group. It's usually that, and then the subs are on the side. So you're thinking, well, that that's not that's not good at all. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think it probably has to. I mean, it it doesn't account for the mistake, obviously. Um, but they were running riot in that first twelve minutes, Man United, and perhaps it, you know I think it probably does because he's been talismanic this season and of late. Uh, so to lose him in that way was was a was a blow. And then obviously when you compound that by going one behind, um, it's a it's a very big uh, mountain to climb. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I spoke to him after the game actually, not on the record. Um, I just bumped into him as I was heading towards the mix zone and had a little chat because um, he's been on the podcast and that, and he knows me uh, a bit. And he seemed fairly hopeful, not too down. Um, that uh, he was going to have some scans, obviously, and that that they'll see what that was. I think it was probably a, a little bit precautionary as well, which is fair enough. You don't want to risk it for the longer term. And so I sort of said, what, do you, do you think you'd be back maybe after the cup game, Man City game? And he said, well, you never know, maybe before that. But you would think that the Liverpool game would be too soon. And obviously we'll discuss that probably a bit more in the Liverpool preview podcast. But um, yeah, he's just got to hope that he's not out for too long. But, um, you know, if you take out that first 15 minutes, then um, Woodrow and Morris were, they frightened the life out of Man United. Good. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it's Elijah. It's as much as his work without the ball as it is with the ball that we could have done with um, on Sunday. That's for sure. Actually, from our kickoff, we started really well. We were on the edge of their box, and I'm not going to say many kind things about this referee throughout the course of this podcast. I'm not. But the one thing you can say about him is a multitude of world class midfielders haven't got close to Ross Barkley this season, yet somehow. Every time Barkley, or seemingly every time Barkley had the ball, the referee was right in front of him. It was a man-marking mission like I've not seen on Barkley before. And that led to the opening goal because Barkley's just about to tee up a shot on the edge of their box. Can't shoot because the referee's in the way. Casemiro makes, makes a hoof that only Luton are supposed to place so direct. To be fair to Amari Bell, yes, he's had an absolute nightmare. But that ball bounces in the worst place on his right-hand side with no pace on it whatsoever. He can't head it back to the goalkeeper. There's not enough pace on it. Someone said to me he tried to pass it across the back line. That's nonsense. He didn't. He tried to pass it back to Kaminsky, but it was on his right foot and it didn't get anywhere. Obviously, if it, if, if it had fallen on his left foot, he'd have either turned away from, uh, I think it was Garnaccio chasing him down, wasn't it? Or he'd have rolled it back to Kaminsky with his left foot. But it was on his bad foot. Even accounting for that, it's a terrible mistake. Amari doesn't need me to tell him that. He'll know that full well. The one person in that team it had to drop to, though, was the one person who started scoring goals all of a sudden, Rasmus Hoyland. Kaminsky's completely out of the game, isn't he, because he's on the edge of his box. And, you know, to be fair to him, he rolls it around him, puts it in like any accomplished striker who costs 70-odd million quid would do. Yeah, he's been in a red-hot vein of form, and obviously that goal... I mean, everybody were predicting that he might be among the goals. and I certainly wasn't thinking that he wouldn't have a sniff at all, but um, to gift wrap it in that way after just 37 seconds, uh, and then he becomes the youngest ever player to score in six consecutive Premier League games, he's going to gobble it up all day. He took it very well and 
um, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a shocker, really. <laughs> it really was. I mean, the the last two games have been blighted by defensive mistakes, unfortunately. So it seems to be creeping in, um, creeping in, and they weren't talked about that much against Newcastle because it was such a thrilling game and it was really one for the football attacking purists and we said that and I was quite comfortable with that but then obviously um, they happened to Luton's detriment against Sheffield United and then this one's um, it, you know even at two goals you, you were fancying that you might be able to get back in it against the Blades but 2-0 against Manchester United you're in a world of trouble really and um, uh, you certainly don't want to start off with less than a minute on the clock by giving that away. Yeah, game plan's well and truly gone out of the window. If it hadn't already done so in the warm-up, it's definitely gone out of the window after 40 seconds, like James says. And then, I mean, the one thing we tend not to do is make these silly individual errors like that blatant. The other thing we don't tend to do is concede from set pieces. I think Rob quoted the last time we'd conceded from a set piece was at their place back in November. Not overly sure he's right on that. I think there is one that we've conceded since then. Um, I think Arsenal scored from a set piece against us. But, you know, it's, that's, he was reacting right after the game. And, um, you know, he, you wouldn't expect him to remember every single goal that's gone in against us. There have been quite a few, to be fair. Um, but we did concede from a set piece. And again, we've got rid of the got rid of it initially out of danger. It's gone to the edge of our box. The Garnacho shot's on its way to Hatter's way. And then the jury's out for me whether Hoyland meant to do what he did or whether he was just trying to sort of chest it back into a danger area or whatever it is. But whatever happens, he's moved his body into a, such an angle that it hits him and goes in the back of the net. And from nowhere, we're 2-0 down. And to be fair, they could have scored in between those two goals as well. It was like a, it was is the exact mirror image start to the one that we delivered against Brighton, actually, um, two weeks previous. And we were 2-0 down really before we've even got out of first gear yeah absolutely I mean I even asked Rob about um, the start because it was not a good start against Sheffield United but this one was even worse really um, and yeah you can't account for that sort of miss but then you've got to really keep it tight and it, it just seemed like for for 12 minutes every time Manchester United got in Luton's half it looked like they were going to score and it was really threatening and uh, you're right. I mean, Rashford should have scored before then. You'd usually fancy him to stick that um, it away, and it, he's dragged the shot wide. Uh, and that was probably the best of them. But they were they were getting down the flanks and stuff, and it was they were opening. It, it was so open was the problem, I think. And they were they were on the back foot on that point, and you don't want Rashford and Garnacho running at you at all. And um, I thought. You know, I thought Hoyland was very good, to be fair. And I, I can't argue with any of the description and, and reviews that he's got since that. Um, I thought with his back to goal, he was exceptional and his touch was fantastic. And I think for the second one, I'm in the camp that I think he meant it because he's on such good form. It was just an instinctive uh, sort of touch. Uh, but that's the difference, isn't it? That's that's £73 million pounds worth of striker well, they'll try that sort of thing, and uh, or, or they'll get things on target, and and if you do that, you've got a chance, and and it goes in. Whereas for all Luton's chances, um, after the goal, that is, then not many of them troubled the keeper for starters, and then when they did get in, they were not on target, and that's probably 
that's the major difference, isn't it? For you, you can't say that Luton dev, didn't have the heart and desire and fight and all of that. It's just the the final bit of finesse. Yeah, I have to say I haven't seen an improvement in a player from a first game to the second game this season like Hoyland. I thought he looked bang average at their place. Looked like a bloke who didn't know how to score a goal. Missed an absolute sitter from two yards out. And then here he looked the most dangerous, potent number nine that we've come across uh, in recent times. I have to say, I'm always positive about this team and I always understand the character and everything else. But at this point, having seen Sheffield United do what they do again earlier in the day, I was fearing something similar because they were just so on top at this point and it's so hard. And, you know, you're up against 300 million quids worth of a front four if we put uh, Bruno Fernandes in there as well. But this team do bounce back. They do have character. They will not just roll over and die and all of that. And we've said it so many times. And the ball breaks to Tahith Chong. Makes a brilliant burst forward. Uh, rolls it out to Alfie. Alfie crosses it into him. I don't know if Chong was crossing or shooting. But either way, it's looped up a puff of Rafael Varane. Absolutely no idea what their goalkeeper's doing. Don't really care either. Thankfully, Morris wasn't watching him. Heads the ball in the back of the net. 2-1. Proper game on then. It was. I, I was fearing the same as you, Kev. Um, not only for the actual football reasons, but because I jokingly gave a um, "Please don't get." I was cursing. Please you. don't get me karma seven nil school line in the prediction in the preview podcast, and I was thinking, "Oh my god, don't let this be the one that gets me." But you know, we've been saying it all season that there's probably a beating somewhere along the line. But when you've played all the big teams so far, and and they've only sneaked them, sneaked wins by the odd goal or or drawn then then maybe Luton's are not going to go the same way they're certainly not capitulating in the same way that Burnley and Sheffield United are they both lost 5-0 at the weekend Sheffield United have lost 5-0 on each of the last three home games so what makes it even more annoying that they came to the Kenny in one but and and Sheffield United have have not they've only gone two months this season where they haven't uh, let in at least five on one occasion so it says you know if you if, if they get beaten they get well beaten whereas Luton always have have a chance um, and yeah that that goal changed the tone of the game and, and turned the tide and after that that was what 14 minutes uh, and a, a great goal as well and also you um, if you're looking for stats then um, we thought it would go to Eli but obviously that uh, stat of being the first player to score in three consecutive top flight games uh, since Mick Flight, Mick Harford in 92. We thought that would be Elijah, but that that goal obviously got chalked off because of um, uh, the much more important situation regarding Tom Lockyer. Uh, so fair play to Carl Morris for, for nabbing that, that record. He's, um, it was a great finish, great instinctive striker's finish and he's bang on form. And um, from that point onwards... He absolutely made mincemeat out of Harry Maguire and it was wonderful to see him and Woodrow had that defence running all over the shop and the only thing they could do is foul him. Yeah, I'm not, I've never been the negative on the hype machine of Harry Maguire, but he did look slow and ponderous on Sunday um, up against Carlton Morris. He, he, he looked completely opposite to how he looked at Old Trafford where actually they had him kind of contained as much as he could have been contained but completely different on Sunday yeah you nicked that stat off me actually um but to 
Uh, add another sort of nuance to that stat. McCarford's third goal in that run was against Manchester United in much the same way that Carlton's was. And yeah, that's a fine effort, actually, isn't it? Because, you know, if Elijah is out for a couple of weeks, we're definitely going to need Carlton's goals. So for him to be on this goal scoring run and playing as well as he is all round, you know, he's assisting as well as scoring. It's good to see. For me, that was his best performance, um, a top flight performance in a Luton show. And but, but I guess just because it's top flight, you probably have to say that's his best performance because he's not doing it against any old mugs. He's doing it against Man United. And he they was, they he was having some joy there. And none exemplified none more so by the fact that Mar- Maguire was one of the players that got hooked at half-time because um, they were just getting overrun. It wasn't him. It wasn't just Morris. Woodrow was doing well in creating the space. Uh, and and Samby and Barkley were absolutely running the show. And got a funny feeling we might come on to them <laughs> yeah, too shortly. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and 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 Doughty and Benny were having the the joy down the flanks as well. It, it was, I, I really felt that they were going to get back in it. But I also felt, and I probably tweeted it at the time, so you could probably go and check. It was it was so crazy. I can't remember the, the what was going on, the amount of chances and excitement there was in that first half, but. I just felt that they would have to get back into it while they were on top in that first half because these top 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 team, isn't they? With a, with a decent manager, whatever you want to say about him, you know, he's not having a great time at Man United. But then so many since Ferguson haven't. You get in half time and then you make the necessary changes because you've got the personnel to be able to do it, and then maybe that changes it. And as it happened, that was the case. So I just kind of felt they'd have to get it. And that they had the chances, you know. Woodrow had a chance. I think Varane's in a decent positional place there to block it, which he does. But then the best one, the golden one, the, probably the best one all game, Doughty's when he gets in, and then he just drags that wide when it's a nana for goodness' sake. You just hit it on target and hit it low and on target. The guy's going to leap in the air like a salmon and make an absolute pig's ear of it, isn't it? But he's tried to be too clever or something. I don't know, but. That was the chance, and I think once that didn't go in, and and, and you're going in at half time, happy with what's happened in terms of a response, but also fearing that maybe that's the chance gone. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why we feared that that's the chance gone is because the whole world and his dog knew that Casemiro and Harry Maguire weren't coming out for the second half, but they shouldn't have been going in at half time either. Both should have been off the pitch, Casemiro in particular. I mean, there was all sorts of conjecture about his first booking, but it's pretty obvious that his first booking was not necessarily for the foul on Amari Bell, but the accumulation of the many fouls that he'd committed before then. So he's on a yellow card. Yeah, it just so happens that his yellow card come for the softest foul of the five or six that he'd committed over the course of that first half. And then Barkley takes the ball off of him. Casemiro flies in, wipes him out. It's a yellow card in absolutely anyone's language. And I've seen Dermot Gallagher on Sky this morning trying to defend this, and it's absolute nonsense. And you wonder why You wonder why VAR doesn't work in this country. There was a classic case of someone trying to protect his mate, and that's all VAR does. And it's that's yeah. the biggest problem of it all. He has to be booked a second time, and he has to be sent off. If that was the role reversed and Barkley's on a yellow card, Casemiro nicks it off him and wipes Casemiro out in that way. Barkley hasn't even got a chance to get up before he's sent off. Yeah. It is the most blatant red card you will see all season. So Casemiro should be off the pitch. 
That in turn would bring Scott McTominay still onto the pitch, but it would take one of these front three off. We're going to come onto the second half in a minute, how the front three on the counter-attack were absolute dynamite, but one of those would not have been on the pitch to be dynamite if Casemiro sent off. I'm kind of slightly less with Maguire. He should still have gone, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that if he was booked for the foul on Morris on the halfway line, where he flew right in from behind and absolutely took him out from behind, again, a yellow card in anyone's language, he may not then have made the foul that he did actually get booked for towards the end of the first half. I'll give him that benefit of the doubt. I'm still not convinced he wouldn't have done, but we don't know for certain. But we do know for absolute certain Casemiro should have walked from that pitch five minutes before half time. Absolutely, uh, I, I I don't know how you can even make a case for it. Like I watched with almost jaw open at that referee show, whatever it was at Dermot. It's un- it's incredible. <laughs> His face was on. It how they can defend that is ridiculous. The one thing I thought live when I was watching it um, in the Kenny yesterday was that you could probably make a case for Woodrow after he got booked, made a rash challenge. I know it was deep in United territory, but letter of the law, I was, I was fearing that they might actually go to a VAR check for it. They didn't. And then when Casemiro makes, I don't know how, however many it was at one point he's fouled Morris and Morris is right in Coote's face going, he's three times. He's not, he's not doing anything. And this was, I don't know how he gets away with it. Cause this was his MO in Spain. It'd take five fouls before he got a book in. Admittedly, he played for Real Madrid, so that probably <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about that. But, um, yeah, it's, listen, he's he's just been kicking lumps out of Luton players all half, not getting anywhere near him. You know, he's a, he's a seasoned international. He doesn't need that many chances. Once the bookings happened... You don't go flying in. And if you do in that way, there's a booking everywhere else. Just because he's got one yellow card, you can't not give it to him because it, I don't know, because he's Man United, because he's Casemiro, whatever. It's it's a foul and it should be off. I'm like, I think like you, I'm, I'm not saying that that would change the result at all, but it changes little pieces of it, little pieces of puzzle, which maybe then the second half doesn't sort of tip more into their hands for the first, you know, 20 minutes of it. The, the the momentum went after that. And I think that was down to Luton not getting the goal when they were on top, but also the changes because um, Ten Hag recognised it. I'm not having a tool that he's, it's a tactical switcher. He's, he knew he was a red card waiting for, waiting to happen. Three players got booked in the first half. Yeah. Shaw, Maguire, Casemiro, not one of them walked out for the second half yeah I mean sure sure was an injury wasn't it but yeah um, yeah it, it, it hooked them off at half time because they were having a torrid time against Luton Town which is amazing to say You've, if you think about it and it's disappointing with the result but to say that you actually took it to Man United for a good hour of that game was remarkable um, and I think Luton have got the plaudits for that uh, here and there, even though it was pretty much a Hoyland loving fair play. It was a Hoyland loving a match of the day. Yeah, he, was very, he was very good. Yeah. Um, the rest of it was very Man United heavy, which you, you come to expect. There were there were two teams in that game, and for a long period, Luton were were, were giving as good as they got. But 
you know, he, I, I think he should have been off. And um, the fact that he wasn't was was doubly frustrating. And then they make the change, obviously. And more so the one for for Maguire is the one that really calms them down a bit. It was a bit hair and scare him, uh, uh, you know, before Evans come on. And then, um, yeah, he used every bit of ex his, his experience, really. But um, as exemplified by the stats at the end of it, when Luton have locked with 36 crosses and 22 of them in the in the second half and he's heading most of them away and it's um, meat and drink for him, that sort of stuff, really. But again, it's 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 one of these, if, if Elijah was on the pitch, would it be a different story? We, we just don't know. But um, yeah, it was, it was very frustrating because it, it was a bit, it was a bit Sheffield United-like at that point. Yes, loads of effort. Yes, loads of balls in the box, but not really any with any venom or accuracy to to really trouble, uh, and it didn't. End. Yeah, I thought Evans was brilliant. Mm. I did. He reminded me of Thiago Silva when Chelsea were here. You could tell the experience that he's got, the quality that he's got, and I still don't get why they've sold Ted and Mengi for him, given that he's way in the twilight of his career. But you can certainly understand why they've got Johnny Evans because if they do need cover for Maguire, and on the evidence of Sunday, they're going to need plenty of cover for Maguire. Then he um, he provides it. We we gave it a good go second half. I mean, we ended the game with fifty nine percent of possession against Manchester United. I mean, just sixty eight at one high point in the first half. And that is ridiculous against Manchester United, uh, home or away. It doesn't matter. That's that's an incredible stat. And um, yeah, I think Man United had had more of more of a say in that game in the second half than they did the first half. Albeit that they got the the two goals early on. Yeah, they did. Um, I mean, it was kind of close your eyes and hope at times in that second half, wasn't it? Because, you know, the one thing you can't do against the side who clearly want a counter-attack is go 2-0 down or 2-1 down to them. Set the game up for them, really. And Luton aren't going to defend deep and just take a 2-1 defeat. That's not how Luton do it. It's not how we're ever going to do it. We're certainly not going to invite a team onto us to lose five or six like other teams around us have done. So we're going to take risks at the back and we've got plenty of interviews coming up at the end of this, or sorry, later in this podcast where the risk and the reward is quoted quite a lot. So we go three on three at the back. So we're asking Amari Bell to cover Garnaccio, but we're also asking Amari Bell to push forward and contribute to the attacks as well, leaving the whole of um, our half of the pitch in behind him. We're doing the same with Ted Amengi on the other side. He's up against Rashford. And then you're hoping that Gay Bosho can keep hold of Hoyland, which to be fair, he did albeit it wasn't Hoyland doing the counter-attacking, it was the two wingers. And there was a lot of chances. And to be fair, they nearly all emanated from Anana. So what he might be as a basket case of a goalkeeper, if you don't pressure him and get, make him get rid of that ball quickly, he will pick out one of those two wingers who make brilliant runs, it has to be said. Absolutely superb runs. And um, yeah, we rode our luck. But that sometimes you need your goalkeeper to keep you in a game. We did. He did. And when he was beaten, I mean, we must have seen the best piece of defensive midfield play I've ever seen from Sambi Lakonga. When Bruno Fernandes goes clean through on goal, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Identical to the way Hoyland did it in the first half. He goes around the goalkeeper, he's just got to tap it in. But Sambi hasn't read that script, comes flying back. The best block I must have ever seen, I think. No right to block it whatsoever. But he does. 
And had Ross Barkley's header at the end gone in, then everyone should have gone back to Sambi Lukonga and indeed Kaminsky and said, guys, that points on you because they were brilliant. They were. I mean, I thought Sambi Lukonga was the best player. Oh, my God. Oh, as as good as Hoyland was in his goals and his um, back-to-goal play and his general touch and his runs, Sambi Lukonga dictated that football match for large periods. He was exquisite. And that's with a Ross Barkley, who also had a very, very good game. Sam Blue unbelievable. Picking wonderful raking balls, um, beating people, um, playing through the lines. And then that one, I mean, we've, we've seen him do all the, the good progressive attack if, attacking stuff. And it's great on the eye. But that one where he's running back to block that Bruno Fernandes chance, which was a nailed on goal, is pure heart and desire he properly gets it this is a loan sign in doing this as well absolutely properly gets Luton Town uh, and and fights for the shirt there's no doubt about it whatsoever and however much Arsenal want for that man pay it pay it get Sam Lukonga in because he is some player let us know how much they want we'll crowdfund it it's not a problem whatsoever everyone will chip in this boy is good. I mean, Barkley's good, good, but this boy's not far behind him. And this guy's 24 as well. He's still got to his football in prime. If if the prime is still 26 to 29, as it you know is often quoted, he's still got to hit his prime. He was tremendous. He's up against a Champions League winner in midfield and one of the best young talents in the country. And I've got to say, I thought Kobe Mainu stood out. I thought he was really, really good. I can understand why there's a lot of hype around him. But Kobe Maino, by the way, also got fell foul of the referee. So if you think we're digging out the referee just on a loot and bias, absolutely not. How how Kobe Maino has got a yellow card for that tackle on Jordan Clark is scandalous. It was one of the best tackles of the game. Ridiculous decision. The referee had a shocker all round. Oh, all three of them did. I mean, the one in the second half where Lindelof passes the ball to Chio and then they flag him offside I mean come on for Christ's sake man learn the laws of the game if you can't even pick a simple offside when the opposition have passed it to us what are you doing there you know it's stupid and as I say every single time Barkley had the ball Coot was somewhere in his way and he had to keep on shifting it as it turned out he only had a couple of shots from distance that fired miles wide but yes yeah, Sambi Lukonga I mean he's getting better and better and better every time we see him play and he's got to the point probably three or four games ago where I didn't think he could get any better hold my beer I can still get better than this and I think that's it I just think that he's seen Barkley be as good as Barkley is and there was a great stat out today that Barkley is um, in the top one percent of all the big leagues in Europe for take on um, chances beating a player and making a chance out of it that is astonishing for a 30 year old that everybody thought was washed up incredible player and I just think Samuel Lukonga is watching that and going I can do that too and he's absolutely replicating it and he's almost gone under the radar because of who Barkley is but them two together outstanding the Ross Barkley Cruyff turn in the second half was just Calvin Phillips goes to the Euros and I say I'll, I'll die on this hill if Calvin Phillips goes to the Euros ahead of him Someone is not reading or watching football the right way because we we know he will. This is the annoying thing. Even this far out from the Euros, with him being so shit for West Ham, 
you saw that I think that viral clip did you about Calvin Phillips where the West Ham fan he's not the Yorkshire Pirlo he's a Yorkshire pudding <laughs> <laughs> he's terrible he hasn't played for ages and you've got on the pitch Samuel uh, Barkley and Maynu against each other both playing very well and Southgate's nowhere to be seen ridiculous I mean even if he came to the game purely just to watch Maynu which seems to be the the way that the tide is flowing that he might be an outside bet you watch both of them and say they're miles better than Henderson and Phillips what, why not those two if you put those two in a, in a side with a midfield that's not great at creating chances what a team that would be but we all know what the score will be it will be jobs for the boys same old same old and then we go out in the quarterfinals as always because absolutely no ambition but on that pitch yesterday were two fantastic English players playing with both sides I have to be honest I was surprised he wasn't there yesterday not just because the, he could have watched those two he could have watched Harry Maguire he could have watched Luke Shaw Luke Shaw just coming back from injury surely he needs to know how he is we're only three weeks away from the next international break after all uh, he could have watched Marcus Rashford again unknown on his form he could have watched Alfie Doughty he could have watched Ted and Mengi and so many other English players that were on that pitch at various times uh, of the game so he, I, he could have seen Harry Styles maybe he sold his ticket to <laughs> Harry Styles maybe you know I don't think Harry's a two-year member uh, with a purchase history but you know he might be um, but yeah I mean you're right. I mean, that Barkley stat is incredible. Mm. You know, it's incredible for him to do that in this league, bearing in mind that Luton are 17th in it, across the whole of Europe's big leagues. I mean, dear me. I mean, there's other stats that he's very, very high up in as well. Passing, uh, passing success, chance creation, so many other things. And, um, well, look, we know this. We've watched him. We love him watching him. He's also getting better. And that midfield pairing, I said it two or three podcasts ago, there isn't better in the bottom half of the Premier League. There isn't. And those two are the reason why we can still stay up here. Yes, we need to cut out the defensive mistakes. Yes, we need to be more clinical in the final third. Those defensive mistakes will get cut out. I'm pretty confident of that. Every time Luton need to learn something, they generally do. Think back to Brian at the start of the season and where we are now. Light years difference. And the attacking stats will improve once, you know, if we had a bit of preparation with not a larger in the team. I think we'd have attacked a little bit better than what we did. You just can't put into words how close to the kickoff that injury happening had an impact in, in our attacking play. You've got no time to work on anything new. So literally, fair enough if we were replacing Adebayo with peak Mick Harford, you know, tall striker and everything else, it all works. I love Corley to bits, but he's six inches smaller than uh, Adebayo and he's up against Harry Maguire the aerial threat there's a mismatch in the wrong direction for us. That's just how it is. But we kept on going. And that was the big thing about this. And nearly, so nearly, you could argue it wouldn't have been deserved given the chances that they missed. On the flip side, you could argue that it would be deserved because Kaminsky had the game of his life. But we've seen this corner before, haven't we, against Chelsea. Ross Barkley's at the near post. He loops the header. Against Chelsea, it found the back of the net. Just hit the crossbar this time. Three inches lower. We've got a point. Everyone's happy, happy days. And, you know, we've come away with a 2-2 draw against Man United when, 
you know, just putting into all of the perspective and, um, June, who did our program notes from the trust column, said, you know, 10 years ago, the only Manchester side we could dream of playing was Hyde United. We were, we were the Whitford, the crossbar away from drawing with Manchester United. Yeah. And that's all the perspective you need, really. Yeah, I think so. Once once you got over the disappointment of it. But yeah, it, it, it felt a lot different to the Sheffield United. Well, not that the fans um, weren't. Uh, clapping and cheering at the end of it like they have been all season which still baffles many many people many pundits many other fans of other clubs who can't understand it 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 definitely felt like that was a game to be very proud of and you came so close I mean you have to say that Manchester United had a lot of chances to win it as well Kaminsky was outstanding it really was and I think though even though Man United are famed for their counter-attacking and and, and punishing teams like that. The, the, I don't think those spaces are there if Luton aren't trying to chase the game and be positive themselves. Or as we said earlier, if they're down to 10 men. Absolutely, yeah. So I think there's an element of those chances came about because Luton were trying to go for it rather than just accept their fate. And you've got to, you've got to take that. And that's the risk and reward thing that... Um, that we're talking about that's been that's being discussed with the three at the back just going up against the three up front and hoping that you can match them for pace and and you can recover well which in a lot of the cases you can it just at the moment it probably doesn't feel like it because it's been three games where there's been defensive mistakes it's a bit London bus situation but I've no doubt I mean you the, the bell one you've just got to say it's once a, once a season that it doesn't happen again can we can we just talk about Amari Bell though because when you've made a clangor like that in the first 40 seconds of a high profile game again I'm not saying anything he doesn't already know but so much so often a normal person would be like oh fuck where's the hole that I can jump into get me out of here but I thought he showed serious bollocks he grew into the game I thought he was excellent throughout the game Garnacho didn't really have chance when he was up against him. The chances that Garnacho had were when Bell pushed right forward and he was getting into our, uh, in, sorry, into their penalty box at times. Obviously leaving um, Garnacho free, but as you just mentioned, that, that was our route back into the game. You had to risk conceding a third to try and get the second, and that's how it was. But I thought Amari Bell, he's now the vice-captain, isn't he, behind Carlton Morris, um, so when Morris goes off the pitch, Amari's captain. And you can see why, because he just grew. He didn't let that mistake hound him, haunt him. He he just showed a really, really good performance. And if we had got it back to 2-2, two, two, it would have been deserved for him because, you know, everyone makes mistakes like that. It's just unfortunate that one has ultimately cost us potential point. I think so. I mean, all too often we look for scapegoats in these things and, he, he, you know, you saw it, I saw it, everybody saw it and everybody, you'll know it's a massive Rick. It was, of course it was. And the last person and the last team you want to do it against at such a point in the, in the game. But everything he did after that was quality and most of it was in an attacking sense as well. The reason why I, I think he's got that duty is because he's very calm under pressure and he didn't let that get to him which is very admirable but him and Gabe Osho in particular Ted's been doing it as well but we've seen more of it from um, the other two over the course of their Hatter's career is they're very confident in bringing the ball out um, and beating a man 
sometimes it's a bit scary, uh, but but they're not they're not playing safe. Um, I don't mean that in in any sort of negative way. I think you've got to take these little risks of pushing forward, beat a man, then space opens up, beat the lines because it's so regimented sometimes when you're without the ball in the Premier League and see how, how it works, and especially these teams that press in the same way that Luton do. You've got to be able to you know, get for, past that first man or maybe even second man to have a chance of moving the ball forward and progressing. And Omari Bell does that. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I thought he had a really good game after that, really. So it's, it's all, all credit to him. Um, he's got to put it down to a bad mistake. The whole team stepped up uh, and really tried to rescue it. They did everything they could to rescue a point from that game and get something out of it which they would have deserved if Man United won it um, by more goals as well I mean they won the game so they deserved it if they won it by more goals they would have deserved that as well so it's one of those games that was very very entertaining to watch um, for, for us as well probably for the neutral no doubt um, but it's good to see that these players are not shrinking and I think that's the, a big takeaway from that game and the other thing about these players is when they're asked to do something that they're not natural at doing, they don't say no. They just get, you know, they do it and they evolve into what, what we're asking them to do. And Thomas Kaminsky is a perfect case in point here. It's pretty obvious he's not comfortable on the edge of his box as a starting position. That's not him. He's a shot stopper. Rob called him at, uh, mentioned that probably two or three months ago when he was up for save of the month and that around that time of that Aston Villa away game. He wanted a shot stopper as his goalkeeper rather than a, a Tim Krull, if you like, who's better with his feet, but maybe not as good as good with his hands. So he's not natural on the edge of his box. You could tell the amount of times that the United players went round him on Sunday that it's not he's he's not a goalkeeper who used to be in that position. But because we're playing so high up the pitch, man for man, trying to compress the the amount of room that the game is played in. There's a lot of room in behind us. So if he does start on his goal line, we're just inviting striker after striker after striker to come in one-on-one -on, -one on him. But considering that he's not comfortable with that yet, and I think he will do, it's the same as anything in life. The more you do something, the better you get at it. To say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it against the biggest team in the world in the most high-profile game Luton Town have played this season. And believe me, there are, bigger teams in the league table but trust me when I say the amount of media interest on this game was above anything else that we've seen this season you're telling me mate they ate all the food before I got there in the press room buggers <laughs> <laughs> but to do that in that kind of game with so many eyes on him do you know what fair play to him because he's cl he clearly wasn't comfortable right he had a brilliant game but that's not to say that he was comfortable doing that he wasn't but he, he went with it because for the good of the team, that's what we need our goalkeeper to be on the edge of our box. And I just thought, fair play to you, Thomas. And I think he will get better in that role. But to do it in that game in particular, hands up. I think, well he, got oh, yeah, I think he got better in the game. It's uh, There's a hell of a lot of learning there for him in having three world-class strikers running at you from, you know, deep and one-on-ones. I mean, he uh, obviously got beaten by Rasmus Hoyland for the first goal and then Bruno Fernandez, but then Sabi rescued him for that. But then he, he stood up to Garnacho, Garnacho in yep. particular. Um, 
I think there was one for Dallow as well that he got through and thank God it was Dallow and not the other three because that probably was a very good chance um, early in the first, uh, early in the second half. Um, but yeah, that's going to be, that's going to stand him in good stead uh, having that experience of, of, of world-class players and standing him up because you only need to get a slight touch as he showed against the Garnacho uh, second one in the second half. He got a slight touch which allowed the defenders to get back and then they smothered the ball and and kept it out. So um, I thought he had a very good game all, all round, Thomas. Um, and he, he has been outstanding uh, all the season. I mean, the, everybody's made a mistake here or there and I think that's um, very allowable. And Rob talks about it a lot, doesn't he, about, uh, you know, they're all humans and everybody makes mistakes and you've got to have that attitude to be able to have the confidence to play with a bit of freedom, which... You can't say that Luton don't have. You can look at the results. Obviously, they're not going that the way, but I don't think Burnley and Sheffield United are having that same experience because they've they've been gubbed so many times. Fives, one one time eight for Sheffield United. It doesn't happen for Luton because they they give the opposition something else to think about. And I think after those first two goals went in and. Um, Sambi and Ross were so instrumental in shutting that down and turning it, uh, turning the game in Luton's favour. I don't think, yeah, like you said, there's no one else in the bottom half that has two midfielders like that. And I don't, and I, I think that's why we're still so very hopeful that Luton are going to stay up. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I hope that didn't come across as negative to Kaminsky. It really isn't. It's absolutely. I'm trying to make a positive out of the situation and there's an awful lot of people in life who just take the easy route and the safe route and just do what you're good at or used to but the fact that he's prepared to venture out and do things that maybe isn't as comfortable to him as it is to others certainly the guy on the other end who's very very comfortable being on the edge of his box uh, was brilliant for Kaminsky um, let's hear from Thomas actually because uh, after the game James caught up with him in the mix zone. Should just say for all of these mix zone interviews, as a, once again, the mix zone at Kenilworth Road is basically the corridor to the main reception. Lots of things come and go during the time in of these interviews. So if there is some background noise, in fact, there is some background noise. We've done our yeah. best to get rid of as much of it as we can. Um, but it's, there is there is not some. a train that's going past. It's just trunk after trunk of Man United gear getting wheeled out. But here's what Thomas had to say to uh, to James after the game. Thomas, a very good game for yourself with many stops, but ultimately it's one of those disappointing ones in the end, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, for the whole team, it's a frustrating one because, yeah, we didn't start the game quite well. And uh, yeah, maybe we could equalise at the end with uh, the ball on the, on the crossbar, but I think they had their opportunities as well. Uh, but frustrating, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that start must be pretty disappointing after all the preparation you obviously put in over the week and it's it's just one of those things. Yeah, exactly. And obviously mistakes happen and, and it's, it's but the second one is, it's, uh, yeah, it's about picking up uh, your your man and that's not what we did. So, uh, yeah, to start like that, I think after 10 minutes, was it? I've, yeah. yeah, about seven minutes to do that. Okay, yeah. So then if to start a game like that against Man United and then they, then they can play uh, the counter-attack, which they are really good at because they have uh, three players up front where, who are really fast and uh, causes a lot of issues. The response was very impressive, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and uh, we have to keep fighting and, and, and keep uh, believing in what we do and, and 
play the way we play, which is aggressive and uh, front foot. So, uh, yeah, we have to keep believing in that. Is there a sense if you carry on playing like that against other teams that still believe you can stay up, I guess? What do you mean? Against the... Against the, the teams that are going to come here the rest of the Ah, yeah, the yeah. yeah. We, have to, we have to believe in what we do and uh, um, especially at home with the crowd and the, and the fans behind us. I think we have to uh, play like that and uh, yeah, we need to pick up results. Yes, sure. I mean, uh, for yourself, uh, many, many saves there. Yeah, you exactly. Must, you must be having a good personal season. Yeah, for me personally, it's okay. But uh, also for me, it's a big, big ask if because we keep up, uh, we give up a lot of space in behind the the, the defense, and uh, it's also for me to defend that space, which is not always easy. Uh, but it's the way we want to play, and uh, yeah, that's what the way we want to go forward. Is that something that's Obviously, you play that aggressive style. Is yeah. that something that you almost have to accept because you have to take some risks sometimes? Yeah, it's a, it's a risk and reward game, I think. And uh, yeah, sometimes it can be, a, yeah, you you cause yourself an issue sometimes with being too high and then they play the perfect ball and then you you stand there. And, uh, but it's it's the way we want to play and we have to accept the... the, the yeah, the, the, so, I, won't, I wouldn't say negative sides from it, but there's some risks involved, but yeah. We have to we have to keep believing in what we do. Is but the ultimate was the ultimate feeling after that then a, a chance for a point missed or uh, yeah, I think it? so, especially with the way we started the game. And then that's that's something that yeah disappointed us. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's absolutely fair enough. And um yeah, he did. He had a great game and um all plaudits to him for that. And like you said before we heard from him actually, James had a great season. And uh, if Barkley and Lukonga weren't as good he would definitely be in the player of the season right at the top of the player of the season talk he's still in the player of the season talk don't get me wrong but he'd he'd be num- he'd be pretty much number one if you if you think back to Saluga got it this guy's having much more of an impact in this team than what Saluga ever did oh big time even in the man new game I was thinking you know until Sammy pulled off that block I was thinking that if Luton get back into this game then it's Kaminsky Man of the match all day long because of the saves he put in. Um, yeah, I think he's, he's. I think he's. I think he inspires confidence. There's, there are so many shots that Man United had, which you know, not not too threatening, but at least they're getting them on target, which wasn't always the case for Luton. And then he's always there to uh, to to repel them. The one that he's um, stopped Hoyland from getting his hat trick is um, Schmeichel esque. Um, considering they're playing against Man United, <laughs> just gets his body in the way, and um, yeah, he's all types are different. And the save from Rashford in the first half, actually, there was a deflection mm, yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. he didn't just save it; he got got it out of the danger area as well. Um, ultimately, we can't play the way that we do, go three on three at the back, if we've no faith in our goalkeeper to save shots, because he is going to have to save shots. Uh, that's just the way of the world, and that's what. We're, that's what we're putting our faith into him. If he's a shit shot stopper, we can't play that. That'd just be football in suicide, wouldn't it? So it's, it says everything to the class of Kaminsky that we're prepared to let our defence do how they're doing it. Knowing that it, on the occasion that the striker does get through, is a 50-50 chance that the goalkeeper acts as the last line of defence and keeps him out. And yeah, Kaminsky's been absolutely brilliant this season, that's for sure. And let's hear from a couple of other people uh, who were 
influential in the game. We'll start off by the guy who didn't think he was playing, actually, when he turned up at Kenworth Road, but was soon a key component to the performance. And that's Corley Woodrow. James caught up with him after the game as well. Again, apologies for the background noise, but that's just how Kenworth Road's built at the minute. I guess disappointed in the end because you pushed so hard and they could have got back into it and you ended up with a defeat, which is yeah. quite something to say almost against Manchester United. Yeah, um, I think like you say, obviously with Conway from the game, disappointing because I think overall we dominated a lot of the ball, dominated a lot of possession, but um, obviously we started the game poorly, which gave us a mountain to climb. But um, overall, yeah, it's this a really disappointing day for us. But I think in terms of our performance, I think we're... We showed good fight, showed energy. Like I say, dominated a lot of the possession, and um, yeah, just got to, uh, just got to not hopefully not start like our next game. It must be a frustrating one because I mean, there's not really anything you can do about that, is there? No, I mean, listen, it's, it's it happens. Um, it's no no one's fault, no one's specifics fault. It's, we're a team, and we started poorly as a team, and that's why we're tuning down. So, um, so yeah, like I say, if you uh, get get rid of the, the poor start, then um, I think it would have been a good day for us, really. The response, though, was really impressive after that. You must be quite pleased with how that happened because arguably you could have gone in a break too, or maybe even more. Yeah, definitely. I think um, for a team like Manchester United to come here and, and for us to be coming away disappointed, um, like like I just said, is obviously a massive compliment to ourselves and how far we've come. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's about three points and we didn't get it today, but we've got to forget about forget about saying I'll move on and move on to Wednesday. And for yourself, uh, a late change around at the beginning there. I think um, Eli's got himself a hamstring injury, isn't he? So yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't really know to be to be honest, like the full extent of the injury or whatever. But um, yeah, I got put into the team and uh, yeah, did my part. Were the instructions? I mean, you would have been around the team meetings. Were the instructions the same? Just like like for like replacement? Yeah, no different. Yeah, no different. Exactly the same as Eli. Um, we, we don't change the way we play, do we? So we play the same every. Every game, really, and the instructions didn't change. And, yeah, I just went in for him and, yeah, like I said, did my job. And, uh, you know, second half, uh, there's no goals in that one, but they, they sort of managed it a little bit. Played on the break quite a bit, though, but yeah, I mean, you still had your chances. Yeah, exactly. I think, obviously, they're, they're obviously protecting the lead, aren't they? And they had a few counter-attacks where I think Thomas and... Don't know. I think Mohamed Sambi done an unbelievable block at, at, at the end. Um, but yeah, the game was always going to be like that, especially with the way we play. We're obviously trying to score and they're going to catch us on the break. So um, it's risk reward. And unlucky for us, we didn't didn't manage to, to get a goal back. We had obviously Ross's header at the end, which just hit the Ross bar. But yeah, on another day, one of them goes in. When it comes to an injury like that for Eli, obviously you get your chance today and he won't want it to be that way. It's not an ideal way to get your chance, but... If he's out for a couple of games, then that gives you a, a way in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like you said, I don't wish an injury on anyone. Eli's been unbelievable this year. He's our, our top goal scorer, scored a lot of goals for us, played really, really well. Um, so hopefully he's not out for a long time. But um, yeah, like I just said a minute ago, I got put in the team and I think I did my job for the lads and played well and did my bit. And, but the gaffer picks me for the next call and then he does. If he doesn't, then he doesn't. That's it's a football and i just got to keep working on keep my head down and... And uh, yeah, look forward. Even though um, Halton's been on the pitch the last couple of games, it's not necessarily been a strike partnership. He sort of played slightly behind, but you two played together before, so yeah, it must have played. Yeah, right yeah, we played, played together, obviously, totally different shape that we play here to what played at Barnsley with Colton. But um, yeah, he's another player that's been really important for us this year, scored a lot of goals, 
goal today, obviously really pleased for him. And um, yeah, I like to think that we've got a good partnership and good link up from. <clears throat> and when you play like that and play so positively yeah, against some United, is there a sense that if, if you can just cut yeah. out those mistakes, yeah. there's more in it for you this season? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I said earlier, we probably dominant. I don't know, I haven't seen in possession sets, stats, but I'd like to think... You were at 68% at exactly, one point yeah. in the first day. Exactly, so it shows that we dominated a lot of the ball, um, created a lot of chances, played exciting football, um, played our way. And yeah, like you say, obviously the mistakes, um, a bit of mistakes, but in the future, hopefully, if we don't, um, don't make them, then uh, we give ourselves a good chance to win the game. Yeah, we should probably touch on Corley, actually, because he's had to wait his time. He had that brilliant moment at Everton in the Cup. Uh, and now he's got his start as a, probably as a result of that goal, actually, and that impact that he made in that in that game. And you mentioned it earlier. He had Varane and Maguire all over the place alongside Morris, who, of course, he knows, as you mentioned in that interview, him, him and Morris were at Barnsley together. They know each other really, really well. But this is an England international and a World Cup winner that he's up against. So fair play to him with such short notice to put in a performance of that kind. He got a standing ovation when he went off from the Luton crowd and that was fully, fully deserved. I thought he was really, really good in in the, what was it, 60, 65 minutes that he played. Yeah, very impressed. I think he acted as a very good foil for, for Morris to have his best game, picked up some very intelligent um, positions and, and pulled defences here and there. Um, I think he's every bit as influential in the the way Luton attacked in that in that first half. Um, not you won't get the eye catching plaudits that Barclays uh, and Sambi's passing and 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 skill will, or the fact that um, Morris faced up to Maguire so many times and and come out on top. But I think that his his sort of support play in that role, considering you know. As, as you heard in that interview, that the instructions were just do do what Elijah does, and you know they're not, they're not the same player. They're not the same. Um, you know, Woodrow's more. Uh, you know, well, they're not the same build for starters. Well, exactly. Woodrow's got more finesse with his feet, um, and you know Elijah is a non-stop bully and a, and a menace. And I think that's a, a very different role. But um, I think the two of them worked out really well together and um yeah if if Elijah's going to be out for um hopefully not too long but you wouldn't imagine it would be uh, playing at Anfield then it's a it's a perfect time for Woodrow to shine I mean he had a chance I think um it was much harder than a doughty chance but yeah he, he, he played really well yeah I'd like to have seen Barkley shoot there to be honest fake yeah. the fake the pass and ping it yourself because otherwise the referee was marking you out of the game uh, as I've mentioned once or twice in this podcast. Uh, they weren't the only two that James caught up with. Caught up with a former Manchester United player to Heath Chong on his return to the side as well. Obviously, Chong had a key part to play in the goal, as James uh, reflects on with him in this interview. Heath, what is it about this team that faces that adversity of the first 10 minutes and then not only sort of rallies and comes back, but... And dominates Man a team like Manchester United for large last yeah. periods. So, well, I mean, I think I think it's just the, the belief we have as a team, you know, and and uh, the tactics and everything. We know um, what we can do. I think is is the belief we have, even when we go two 0 down. Um, still have to believe and still trying to do the right things to get back into the game. So I think it just comes down to the belief we have as a team. Um, no matter who plays, um, 
no matter what team is on the pitch, you always have that belief as a team and that togetherness of we're going to come back no, into this thank game. Thank you very much. I guess because you could, you could say it's maybe the, the home crowd, but then you went to Newcastle and did similar and you weren't daunted by that either. Yeah, like I said, I think, it, it, you know, I think obviously the, the, the coaching staff and everyone does a, a brilliant job to set us up as well. Um, and for us, it's just that never die mentality. We want to want to keep that going um, and, you know, never bow our heads down really when, when stuff doesn't go our way. Obviously, we just work ourselves back into the game and hopefully we can keep doing that. I guess that's going to be so important in the running because, um, you know, you look elsewhere at other results of teams around you and like Sheffield United got beat 5-0 today, but you, you sort of stuck in there and you really probably feel hard done by not to come away with something. Yeah, well, again, I think I think for us, our main focus is, you know, just, just on us really and on trying to get points no matter who we play. Um, we know it's, it's the Premier League, so no game is easy really. Um, so it's just for us to go out there and, and take it really. Um, and hopefully you can, like I said, keep improving and, and keep getting points in. Yeah, but please for Chongy, actually, James, because we've been not, you know, I suppose you've got to call it critical of him when he started, not grasping that opportunity. This time he did, he impacted the game. That's all, we ever, all we've ever asked of him. When you start, because you do it every single time you come off the bench, you do it brilliantly, and even against Sheffield United in defeat last week. But when you start, Influence the game in that way again. And, well, he's got... I, d I don't think the assist actually goes to him, does it? Because it's touched someone else along the way. But, you know, to all intents and purposes, he's got the assist for the goal. And, it, you know, he started that move and then created the goal, scoring part of that move. And and I thought it was really good, actually. I did. I, I think he deserved his place anyway from what he um, was doing when he came on against Sheffield United. And it didn't work out in terms of the result, but he was one of the standout performers, I thought. And as we've seen along the way, if you if you can do that off the bench enough times, then you'll get your chance. And it's not the first time he's had his um, starting chance, but he hadn't really taken it. I think he did in this game. Uh, and I think he, I think he starts again um, up at Anfield because of it, because I think it, he offers something on the counter, offers a little bit of trickery, um, and yeah, getting involved in, in that goal as well. And um, I thought he was, you know, I think he was very outstanding uh, when Luton were on top like that. I think when Man United wrestled it back slightly in the um, second half, then it was less effective, but that's because he's a ball at the feet player. Um, so, that, you know, different things to, to learn there, but um yeah, I thought he, he he was well deserving of his place, and he, he he took it. Yeah, agreed, and agreed with um, the look ahead to Anfield as well. One last person to hear from, as always, the man who masterminds everything that this football club does on the pitch. Uh, that is the manager Rob Edwards, and we sent James along to his very brief post-match press conference, where he was particularly decisive on the main incident in the game. And probably had a word or two, quite rightly, to say about the lack of injury time at the end of it. These referees need to start counting mm. because the guy against Chelsea was terrible and this was terrible on um, Sunday. But before me and James reflect on that, here's uh, Rob and his thoughts. Uh, losing, your, losing your number nine and then going 1-0 down after 40 seconds is not an ideal way to start against Manchester United, of course. Um, I think it, it probably wobbled us and rocked us for a little bit. Um, 1-0 turned to 2-0 after about six minutes and you, you, a little bit fearing the worst and thinking, OK, 
how we're going to respond to this. Um, but I've got to give the players a lot of credit. Showed a, a, an air of calmness and belief, commitment to the game plan, and, and dragged themselves onto a really good performance. Got, we got back into the game and, and then pushed and pushed. Couldn't find the second one. But um, yeah, in the end, there's lots to like about the performance, but you, you can't give a team like Manchester United a two goal head start that early in the game. That's, you know, we've, we got punished with a couple of errors and uh, it was hard to recover from that. All right, there's areas that we can work on. First goal is obviously human error. It's, you know, it won't happen again. Um, just one of those things. Second one, we uh, just on the second phase from the corner, we just step away from Boyland, who's you know, on fire at the moment and a, and a big, big threat. So that one we can fix. And uh, you know, then I thought we stepped onto a really good performance, a really good game. You know, we're playing against Manchester United. We've got to remember that, and remember that. You know, I'm feeling really disappointed because we fully believed in this going into this game that we could win today. We really did. I think we showed that then in the performance after that first eight to ten minutes, where we were a little bit rocked with what with what had happened. We're trying to be brave. We're going to take some risks. We had to manage a counter attack better, and uh, we need to. It's an area for us to focus on again. So they have some moments with their quality and their speed. I think you look at Manchester United over the last. God knows how many years, you know, they've always been a, a, a fast counter-attacking team with a lot of quality. So um, they've done it to bigger and better teams than us. You know, it's, Mar it's Marcus Rashford and Garnacho and Hoyland. You know what I mean? These are big, big players, top players who are very good and very quick. But it's certainly areas that we can be better at in stopping those counter-attacking moments. Thomas did well, some scrambling. Sambi's block as well, big. So some brilliant emergency defending, which you're going to have to do when you take risks and you want to try and get back in the game against a team like that. Um, so, yeah. You know, credit to the boys there for that. Uh, for, you know, for keeping the ball out of the net by hook or by crook. But look, I thought it was a really entertaining game. I thought both teams went for it. You know, I thought we showed, you know, really good stuff tonight. We looked like a really good team. I thought, I really did, and I'm proud of, of many aspects of that performance tonight, especially in, in a lot of adversity early on. Um, you know, two 0 down with what had gone against us. You, you think this could be a difficult night. And, and we've seen what's happened this weekend with teams, you know, it, it can happen at this level. Again, better teams than us can, can get hit hard in this league. Um, and that didn't happen to us. So, yeah, I, you know, we want, to, we want to always try and get the last goal in the game. We always want to try and be pushing. And we were, you know, Ross hit the bar right at the end. We were, we were pushing. And, um, and that's what I want from my teams. So, things, yeah, some things went against us tonight. Some things were our fault. And then maybe one or two bits, but I'm not going to complain about that. In performance, that is that disappointing. Cause you yeah, it's like back to last season, that wasn't it? I don't know where that one came from. Man United are winning two one, and so that's what I mean. It's... Yeah, um, I mean from start to finish, you might as well have wore a white shirt. The referee, where only four minutes came from in that second half, I counted five times. He held his hand up, pointed to his watch, whilst Anana was fannying about. But others have told me it was more than five times. Then there's all the substitutions and everything else. How there's only four minutes of injury time in that second half. And Rob's, Rob's got that right. Yeah, he might get into trouble for it. I hope he doesn't. I think there should be a place for honesty in the league. Um, but he's got that right. If Luton are winning, and we've seen it earlier on in the season against Crystal Palace, where somehow 13 minutes came along, or even against Liverpool, or even against Arsenal, you know, the, the minutes bordering double figures. Just four minutes there was a joke. 
it is. I mean, it's, when it was only, what was it, six against Chelsea or something like that? Ridiculous. This, even worse. I mean, yeah, there were no goals, but there were substitutions. There was time wasting. and How you're getting four from there is unbelievable. It it, it baffles me. It, surely, uh, when this keeps happening, there's got to be some sort of independent timekeeper somewhere along the line they to do it because it's not it's not happening or working well enough. And again, we hark back to other sports, but and I and I don't want to see the start start and stuff. I know you're an NFL man. I, you are now. I watched the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was watching the Super Bowl and editing the last podcast while I was doing it, but I quite enjoyed it. But um, yeah, they, I mean they they play and stop, and the game goes on forever, but. They've got to account for all these instances where the ball's out of play for long periods, I think. I mean, four minutes is ridiculous. And I think if Edwards gets done for that, it's an absolute disgrace because what he said there didn't say enough to be critical, but said everything that we needed to know about it. And you don't want to believe in this big team bias, but we're seeing it, constantly seeing it. That was a disgrace, four minutes. Yeah. His whole performance, Mr. Coop, was an absolute shambles from start to finish. As I say, the positions he was taking up, terrible. The decisions he was making, even worse. Getting no help from his lino. I mean, you know, something as simple as an opposition player passing it to a looting player and then flagging him offside is stupid. But it's one of those, isn't it? It's not the first time we've seen it against these big clubs. And dare I say it, ahead of Wednesday night, it's certainly not going to be the last time we see it against these big clubs it's something that we've got to get used to but all we want is an even crack of the whip and um, that's not what we got but I have to say James so so proud of the efforts from after the from when let's say from the time we got ourselves sorted out so from when we went 2-0 down you can't be anything but proud you just have to look at the reaction of the boys at the full-time whistle half of them slumped to their knees and the other were flat on their back they'd given it absolutely everything they could it's all we ever ask we don't even need to ask it now it's a given they'll do it every single week and it just wasn't to be on the day it's the thing isn't it it's it, it is frustrating because you know that there were points there for for Luton um and you know, if you watch Ted and Mengi's interview with the club website afterwards, he thought it as well, you know, but for those mistakes, but you can't discount them because they've ultimately, um, they've settled it really because, I mean, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's one thing <laughs> to see Manchester United time wasting at Kennel Throw to try and eke out a win. Unbelievable stuff, really. Just think how far we've come and we keep saying it, but these things are remarkable What what, what is happening and, um, you know, Luton still have their heads above the line on the table, heads above water so far, and there's still that game in hand. And who knows what what could happen at, um, at Anfield? I'm convinced there's still a scalp somewhere. There's got to be one this season. Let's hope that is the case. That's for sure. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks to James for keeping me company for the last hour or so. Uh, always good to reflect on well, what was a great game of football. I mean, that first half was played at breakneck speed. It was relentless. It was. I don't like sitting there watching Luton lose. Nope. Um, but when Luton lose in that manner, in playing in that fashion, then I'm okay, kind of okay with it. Certainly the night after, I'm okay with it anyway. We took it to one to the biggest club in the world. And on another day with a width of a crossbar away from getting a point against them. We keep doing that. We play like that. 
every game between now and the rest of the season, there is definitely 15 points that gets us to 35 points. And that's all you'll need. I think Sky showed a graphic actually before the game, before the Sheffield United game on Sunday. It's 34.7 points, the average number that you've needed over the last 10 seasons. And it'll be probably less this season, wouldn't it? Because we're looking at points deductions still for potentially more for Everton and some for not enough far. It's not that you want to rely on that at all, but. Yeah, it's not on Rob's league table, is it, man? No, and I, I, don't, I don't think Luton will have to rely on it, but if you can get those 15 points, I think that that propels you up the table and there's enough teams sort of nervously looking over their shoulders that you could just, you could leapfrog them as well. Um, you know, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. There's been two defeats on the spin um, and it's not going to get any easier going, in, going to the league leaders. At, on their own patch, but um, there's there's nothing that is panicking me at the moment. No, nor me. Um, yeah, still in our hands, and that's all you can ever ask for. So, yep. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks very much for listening. However, it is that you consume this podcast? As always, thank you to the High Town Club for staging our studio. Thank you to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for our wonderful intro music. And we'll keep that, not Harry Styles, uh, as our intro. And also to Ed Smith Creative for all the designs that you see on set. Uh, thanks very much for subscribing, everyone. Uh, do keep subscribing because over the next two, three, four weeks in particular with all these midweek games, these podcasts are going to come thick and fast and they'll be at random different times as to when we normally put them out because we're playing Tuesday, Wednesday, near there and everywhere. So hit that subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when the next episode drops. Uh, until that next episode, which will be a preview to a trip to Anfield on Wednesday night. Come on, you hatters. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're looking people.